Made to be Broken, Episode 6. I'm your host, Andrew Ligon Fant, and today I'm joined by my co-hosts, William Corbin and Caleb Thompson. Today's guest is Gavin Childers. Gavin's a first-year law student at the University of Georgia School of Law. Gavin contracted COVID two weeks into the school year and worked through it. In this episode, we talk about UGA's efforts to limit the spread of COVID and Gavin's experience with COVID. If you enjoy this podcast and want to help us out, the best way you can do that is by subscribing, sharing it with a friend, and leaving us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. If you have questions or comments, you can send a voicemail using the link in the podcast description or send us an email at mtbbpodcast at gmail.com. All right, Gavin, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming by and uh, stopping by to talk to us about COVID-19. I put out a call and asked if anybody wanted to talk about COVID, anybody who has had COVID. And I had a couple people reach out to me, but then actually I had three or four people reach out, but then several people decided it was probably not a good idea um, because they're nervous about um, public perception and like people's, you know, people getting mad at them for X, Y, or Z. So I think there's a lot of um, tension around this issue. And I would just like to ask everybody to relax and like give people some grace and understand that we're all just trying to live in 2020. Um, do you, how have you felt uh, about the, like how have you felt about how the law schools handled COVID this year so far? So, I mean, I was a big proponent of coming back and being on campus. Um, so I'm, I think they're doing fairly well in terms of, you know, social distancing people. Um, I mean, if, when you're going to school in person, you're automatically taking like unnecessary risks. But I guess the question is, you know, are you doing it? Um, you're doing it in a smart way. I think the I think the law school is, I mean, they're they're very strict about enforcing mask rules, for the most part. Um, I don't think any issue in in terms of COVID spreading um, in the law school I don't believe is going to be the fault of the administration at all. I think that probably has to do more with the students themselves. Yeah, because like they're so so just to give people an idea, the the law school is taking pretty extensive measures to try to limit the spread of COVID inside the law school. With that being said, the reality is that we do live in a college town, and everybody has to go about their daily business. Also, so um, different people have different thresholds of of risk and things like that. But the reality is that even if you do a, an amazing job and a 100% perfect job in the law school of preventing COVID from spreading, you're still going to have people get COVID simply from going to the grocery store or going to the going to do the things that we all do like on a daily basis. And then we're in law school. So sometimes you need to go out and do something different, like maybe go watch a movie, which is almost like a revolutionary act in 2020, but <laughs> going to a movie theater and watching whatever the new movie is. So yeah, it seems like I, I would tend to agree with you that to the extent that we have a COVID issue, which uh, we, we've definitely had some COVID cases in the law school, I, I would not put any of the blame on the administrators. I think they've done mm-hmm. a, a really good job. And just to give some people an, uh, some ideas of like how the law schools handled it. So 
they, from my perspective, and I don't know if you, if you share, I think you show this, they did a really good job of communicating over the summer what to expect. Did you get that too? Yeah. I mean, I was honestly, when I got that, that video from Casey Graham, I was pretty, I was pretty impressed by, um, just the way they, just the way they communicated it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, she definitely stressed to us, like, the importance of, like, social distancing. Kind of try to, pleaded for us to see the bigger picture. Um, She said, basically, you know, she was very relatable talking about, yeah, we know it's your first year of law school. And you're going to be stressed and you're going to want to socialize. And and obviously, no one wants to just sit in their apartment and study. But she was kind of, uh, you know, just encouraging us to... I guess do that nonetheless. I, I feel like the, the sit in your apartment study and study lifestyle has been um, unfairly denigrated in this community. <laughs> Says several, the guy who sits in his room and studies. This, this is a lifestyle choice that has been unfairly denigrated. Um, you know, there's a lot of advantages. You get, to, you get to really experience the cases you read in a sort of transcendental level that I don't think you do if you have other things going on in your life. Do you elaborate on that? What do you mean by transcendental level? Um, there's, there's, when, when you do a certain activity for enough percentage of your day, you, you start to go to sleep and your brain will just start doing that same thing. Um, I know I have a miserable job, with, for example, when I go to sleep and it's... Um, and uh, One summer I was a lifeguard at Hershey Park and they make you scan every section of your pool zone every 10 seconds. And, um, so I always had a count in my head that was about 10 seconds. And when I went to sleep after I was working a lot, I'd have that counter running even as I was slowly falling to sleep. And I think if you really read cases enough, when you're falling asleep, you're just going through some basic facts of the the cases you were reading and what principles you got from them. And that's, that's how, you know, you're reading enough. So I don't know about your living situation, um, but it also adds a level of complication when you live with people who have different levels of activity or risk um, because you're kind of only as safe from COVID as your, as your wildest housemate, if you will. Yeah. And for us, that's obviously William. William's oh, a party animal. Yes. He's a, he... Very obviously, you know, I really have spent a lot of time in downtown Athens and uh, you know, getting up at uh, six, the wild hours of, you know, six and seven o'clock in the morning, um, you know, drinking some really, really impressive uh, Coke, Dr. Pepper's waters. Um, well, but to be fair, like, so again, there's a lot of pressure around this, so I won't out anybody else, but I was downtown yesterday to watch the football Ooh. game. This concept of the moving goalposts, we're going to, at first it was flatten the curve, you know, the <laughs> hospitals. And then we're going into, um, you know, just until the vaccine. I saw an op-ed last week until we're going to have to distance after the vaccine. This is simply, it's, it's unworkable. There's just, you can't just stop the economy and stop socialization like this. Like, we may have some kids growing up and go like, yeah, those kids had to go to Zoom school for a couple of years. And that's why their social skills yeah. suck more than normal. Like, if you're older, like, if, you know, if you have a pre-existing condition or if you're older or if you live with somebody that's like that, like, don't go out of your house, use Zoom, use the things, you know, like, don't put yourself at risk. But putting a whole bunch of kids and a whole bunch of people to where this is basically 
it impacts it is sick some people die but the chances of it statistically are pretty minuscule very minuscule compared to other things you run about in your day-to-day life there's a lot of societal impacts that we're not thinking about that we're going to look back on and let me see how I put it we're treating it as if 2% of the population was just going to die from this we're treating it like the Spanish flu or something when it's not that and so this imbalance between what the actual effects are for a majority of the population, not talking about your older people or whatever, especially like your college kids and stuff, compared to what we're doing is honestly absurd. So UGA took a lot of precautions. Uh, yes. I, I think, from my perspective, I think they struck a pretty good balance. I would be in favor of being all in person myself. However, I understand they were trying to balance competing demands, right? So you have people who, who, who want extreme safety measures, and then you have people who want, you know, more or less to leave it to the individual to, to social distance and mask up as, as needed. Um, and I think they struck a pretty good balance where, um, so they, right now, we're basically half online and mm-hmm. half in person. Um, what what has been your experience of that and like um what do you think i guess the because obviously i think there are some benefits to be having some zoom classes and there are some drawbacks so like what has been your experience of that so for me i definitely prefer the in-person instruction because uh, i have a much harder time focusing on like you know talking about some complex issue of law when it's like a person on like a small window on my computer Versus like when I'm immersed in the room with all the other students and, you know, just in more of like an intellectual atmosphere. But, um, I mean, in terms of online, I do think it has some advantages. Like, for example, you don't spend 30 minutes getting to and from school every day, which when you're in law school, you realize that 30 minutes is like a really big deal because that's 30 more minutes of free time you could have at nine <laughs> try to recuperate. I know you said you'd be in... F- in favor of having all in person. I think I agreed to that to the extent that I really hate the alternating odd even week schedule. And I would like to go back, um, but I would like for classes to all be in person, but I just don't think, I don't think it would necessarily be smart either though. Yeah, I think, so to clarify, I would actually be more in favor of having the hybrid Zoom and in person and then leaving it up to the perf- so right now and they have the, this is the case the professor can decide to go all online for whatever reason they want um, we have one our contracts class is like that for example um, or they can do in person or they can do or rather they can do the half in person half online thing I would be more in favor of having the Zoom as an option. And then, and if people want to do online, that would be fine. And if they want to come in person, they can. And then just kind of let the the instructors mm-hmm. mitigate as they see fit. Because I think like some classes, for example, if you're in like classroom A or B, you could have, I think you could have our whole section in there, socially distance. Like those are huge classrooms. Whereas if you're in a smaller classroom, maybe you do actually need, uh, maybe it would be smarter to have like mm-hmm. half the section. And so I think it, I would be more in favor of allowing people to come to class when they want. Cause I have the same issue as you in that it's not impossible to learn from, from a guy on zoom. Yeah. But there are a lot of factors that it takes out 
um, that I think actually do help me learn. And one of those is the stress of like being called on. Yeah. Like getting, getting cold called <laughs> in person is just a whole different experience than getting cold called on zoom. In my opinion, I've never had that yet. So. And it, in, in a way it does induce a little bit of stress that then motivates me to study harder and prepare more thoroughly and all, all these like follow on effects. Um, and then the other, the other aspect to me for, for me is like when, when you're in person, you're with your classmates. Yeah. So like if you get cold called, you don't feel like you're, you're not just by yourself in a room, like talking to a, a bunch of people on zoom. Um, you actually have like, everybody's there to kind of, help you out and support you and so i'm i'm the, the only one in this room who was blessed with four 8 a.m classes every uh, oh section and, y. yeah and this is one of one of the advantages of the zoom format is yeah you don't need to wake up as as early it's it's just it's just much more and i think part of what might be worth thinking about is where are where are there circumstances where trying to do something virtually or remotely is um, is actually something that could be viable in a non-pandemic environment? Because uh, a lot of people before 2020 were talking about the future of telework, telecommuting, and how this will mean you know less people need to pay the exorbitant New York and San Francisco rent prices to have yeah. those jobs. Um, and I think there are a decent amount of advantages to figuring out how to do things remotely. Um, I don't necessarily have the same negative experience. I spent a lot of my high school doing uh, remote classes. And so I'm pretty, I'm pretty comfortable with the format. Um, but I think there are, there are certain, cer certain ways <laughs> that the format actually works. Um, well, the big thing that I'd say that I miss when I do virtual classes is that there's a degree of cohort solidarity, and it's especially yeah. part of how law school does their thing that you kind of miss. Yeah, I mean, I was going to say law school is very much like a social endeavor, and I think it's such a shame to look, to just sit in your room and study by yourself and never talk to your classmates and never get to go over your you go over your outlines together or just do anything that law students should be doing, you know, with each other. I think having classes could be, you know, if they were some somehow completely online, like if the numbers shot up too much and then they shot and they put class online, I think that would just completely ruin the law school experience for me personally. It's already rough as is. I mean, we get into in person, but a lot of socialization just isn't there. And yeah, I don't know. I personally struggle with socialization, so that's just—it's a bad recipe. I mean, it can't change it, and it is what it is. But I can't sit here and say it's the same. I mean, Georgia's doing the best they can, and they've been a lot more reasonable than other schools, in my opinion. You know, ones that just went completely online. But just make no mistake—I'm not much into the future of teleworking and telesocialing this and everything on the screen now. I, I wasn't saying in a post-pandemic environment, telesocialing would be a big deal. But if you're talking... Telesocialing. I don't think... It's I awful. mean, it is, it is like, you it's, know, my uh, friends yeah. from undergrad and I will routinely, well, semi-routinely meet online. Um, you can do it if you have a very <laughs> geographically spread out friend network. And if you already yeah. know each other. If you already know each other. 
Um, My friends and I do the same thing. I, I think it's a great alternative, like when it's not possible to meet in person. But it, it's it's if hard to replace that working, though, If you're talking about working, yeah. one of the big issues is corporate real estate. Yeah. If you're if you're a company and you're sitting here going, well, you know, we had everyone work from home for six months, and we're renting this expensive office building in the middle of an expensive city. Yeah. We could like have people come in less often, have our need for um, office space, and save a lot of money. It'll be interesting to see how companies deal with that post post COVID, like the Manhattan real estate uh, industry. Yeah. But I think so. Just to jump back to the the issue of like not socializing as much and not meeting our classmates. So I think there are I see two things uh, associated with that that. I'm not saying that these completely counteract the need to social distance or anything like that. But what I am saying is that I do think they should be uh, taken into account. And the first is that like when I actually do get to interact with our classmates and I meet these people, I'm really impressed by them for one thing. Yeah. Cause like we have a lot of incredibly impressive people in our class. Um, so I'm like, I meet these people and I'm like, wow, like this is really interesting that I got to meet this person. So it's, there's the tragedy of like not meeting those people. And there's also, I think, some real mental health concerns that at least need to be acknowledged and, and accounted for. Um, some people are more vulnerable to this than others. And I think that we just have to keep in mind that some people do have, are, are, are vulnerable to things like anxiety and, and different things like that when they're not able to interact with people and not able to develop that social network and the support network that, that you would normally have one out year. I don't know if you have any perspective. Yeah. I mean, I think that's certainly true. I mean, we all know the numbers for, you know, uh, mental issues with law students. And I think, I mean, personally, I've had days where I'm just like so stressed and there's stuff going on, like in my personal life. And the last thing I want to do is just like at the end of a long day, just like sit by myself in my apartment. I think that, you know, you take law students who I'm a lot of them, I think probably do struggle with similar things. I think it's really unfair to ask them to just never socialize when for a lot of people, that's the one thing that makes them feel better. Yeah. It's, it, it's like, it's fine to ask them to do it, but you have to acknowledge like you, it seems like a small ask, but it's actually like a huge ask and it affects different people different ways. Um, you know, people who are naturally introverts may not affect them at all. Yeah. But people who like get their energy from interacting with other people might really struggle with that. So I don't know. It's just, it's something that I think that has to be acknowledged and, I, I get the sense that a lot of people almost like poo poo it or like kind of, Oh, like, you know, you almost don't care like about your grandparents. Uh, <sighs> e exactly. Like that whole attitude is just, there are competing demands here that, and it's not obvious how to balance them. I think that's the really hard thing. Yeah. I think part of when you're talking about policies that institutions are implementing, one of the issues is that we have a situation that's fairly novel yeah. Um, in this, the two, I mean, infectious disease has been part of human history forever. I have a sneaky suspicion people didn't go to bars and restaurants during the Black Plague. 
Um, <laughs> but the issue is the extent to which um, the impact that doing distancing in the 13th century has on the economy is very different from the impact that it has in the 21st century. There's a degree to which every organization is going to make mistakes one way or another simply because you're, you're dealing with something that's pretty close to a genuinely novel event. It's not something you can practice for. There seems to be an urge amongst some people to like pounce on every mistake an organization mm -hmm. makes rather than giving them a little bit of grace. Because mm -hmm. like we like you said, like this is pretty novel and schools like UGA are actually trying to find a way mm -hmm. through the problem. Um, and, you know, I, I it's not obvious to me that that's the wrong way to go about it. I, I definitely think that there's a certain uh, group group of people who seem very mm -hmm. eager to point out every single mistake and like, and kind of catastrophize things rather than taking a step back and realizing, kind of seeing the bigger picture. I don't know. I think for, for undergrads, you have, you have part of the issue where the actual policy is a version of, um, what it sounds like the institutions are predicting or recommending that students will do is basically live in a dorm and go to class in a dorm. And never, you're doing things that I don't think a reasonable person could expect people to oh, yeah. comply with. Like if I was thinking, like if I was just graduated high school this year, I would be taking a gap year. Just oh, yeah, it'd be very disappointing to have to start college like this. And I feel like, you know, I thought about that when I was starting law school. I was like, this is such a disappointment that I have to start law school in the middle of COVID because... I mean, the last thing I wanted to do was go online and not meet anyone. You went to UGA for your undergrad. Um, and you graduated last year, is that right? Yeah, I just graduated in spring. Yeah. Um, did you give any thought at all to deferring or to or any alternative to going to law school right away? Yeah, so I basically had already committed to going at that point because uh, I had an internship with the USDA, Rural Development. And they had offered me like um, a job. And so beginning of my senior year, I thought about taking a gap year um, just for unrelated reasons. But once I decided I was going to go to law school, I turned down that offer. And I saw all my friends who um, had just graduated were very much struggling to get any gainful employment. So I was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to law school because it seems like my best alternative even despite the fact that there's the COVID guidelines. The, the worst job market market since the Great Depression doesn't exactly make a, yeah, you know, maybe I should do something other than sit in school until hopefully the job yeah. market gets that, its act back together. Yeah. What, what alternatives to law school did you consider? So you said you had, what did you study in undergrad? I studied in environmental economics. Okay. And then you yeah. went and interned with the USDA... Yeah, I was with the USDA Rural Development. Um, I was part of the business and industry program. So uh, basically what we did was we made guaranteed loans to businesses in rural areas. And the offer that I had was with single family housing. So it's very much similar, except the loans are for single family homes. So I was going to work in that. That was my alternative. And where was that geographically? Uh, that would have been at the Athens office. Oh, in Athens. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that was like your, so you could either do that or go to law school. Yeah. Okay. 
And do you plan to do anything in like the environmental world? Do you plan to do environmental law or what do you know? Yeah, so I haven't, I mean, in terms of what kind of law do I want to do, I haven't made a decision, but I also haven't written anything off. Um, I feel like every time I go to class, I learn about a new facet of law that I hadn't considered before. So I've been trying to keep a very open mind about, you know, where I want to go with my life after graduation. So you're telling me you don't have to decide exactly what you want to do before one of your starts? Exactly. That's what I'm telling <laughs> So why did you, what, what was the thought process of going to law school instead of going to work for the USDA? Any particular reasons or just? I think it was just an urge to, you know, want to start making some money. And also along those lines coming out of undergrad, I have very little savings and I'm very much like very conscious of like loans and interest and repayment and all the financial burdens that are involved in law school. And I thought, okay, if I take a year or two off and save, it'll take a lot of pressure off of me when I'm in school. So, but yeah, that was my main concern. Okay. But you went straight to law school. Yes, exactly. And here you are. <laughs> so in terms of COVID, um, what was your, so just as background, you, you had COVID at one point. Uh, not too long ago. Is yes, that right? I got COVID about two weeks into the school year. It's good luck. Yeah. What, what, what was that like? Like, what what was your? And I know everybody has different experiences. You have different people have different symptoms and different severities. So, what was yeah. your? What was it like for you personally, just from like a physical perspective? Yes, if you don't mind. You personally, know, to my the extent you yeah. want to share. <laughs> I feel like. Personally, my symptoms were very much mild, um, and I do recognize that that's certainly could be an anomaly, and a lot of people do have much more severe symptoms. So by me talking about mine being mild, I don't mean to you know minimize it, but um, I think the hardest part for me was the fatigue, and even then, I didn't have fatigue as bad as some other students have complained. They'd, I know some students who are like a week behind in class because they literally couldn't do anything. But um, obviously losing my smell wasn't ideal because then when you lose your smell, you can't really enjoy coffee. And as a law student, that's <laughs> very much a struggle. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. But I actually don't think I got behind in my classes at all. I just kind of chugged through it. Um, took a lot of ibuprofen, drank a lot of water and just... And also two weeks in the semester... It certainly wasn't as fast-paced as it is now. Like, I feel like right now, if I miss a single day, I'm just, like, behind. Well, that seems kind of ideal, actually, to get it. If you're going to. Yeah. If you, if you must get it. To get it early. Because, like, yeah. the worst time to get it would be during exams. Yeah, like, I thought about or that. Even, or even if you just had it for, like, the two weeks prior to exams. That would be really I think the two weeks prior would be worse. Yeah. I think there are yeah. reasonable... I don't know what the administration's policy is, but... They probably have some kind of like helping accommodation policy. Yeah. I didn't I look so. into it because I didn't feel sick at any point so far. Or how did the like uh, law school work with you and like how accommodating were they? So I, they did reach out to me and they said, do you need anything? Um, and more than just like school, but like life needs in general that can stem from COVID. I I didn't need any assistance at that time, so I just kind of said, no, thank you for offering. But like I said, I wasn't behind in classes or anything. 
but I would say they've done a very good job at accommodating the students. Logistically, what did that look like? You had to stay in, you had to isolate for how long? Uh, it was 14 days. Because they've, they've lessened that to 10 days, I think, right? Yeah, so More I think recently. it's, I think I've heard people say 10 days after you get the start of your symptoms, but I was like, I'm not going to put people at risk. Well, but I think early on, like when you got it, I believe that the school's policy was 14 days, but I think new guidance has come out. I yeah. don't quote me on this. I'm not a doctor yet. So uh, Keyword, I, yeah. I think that they have changed to 10 days, but you quarantined for 14 days. Yes. What was that like psychologically? Did you, did, you know? <laughs> well, that's the interesting thing is, um, I mean, we've been so busy through law school that like me being in my apartment for two weeks straight didn't even feel like that much of a burden because <laughs> at that point I was change. doing that anyway. And yeah. like, it sucks not being able to go to campus um, because, you know, I, there was one more thing about going to campus. It's good just to get out of the house. Like it, it feels just a change of scenery. makes you feel better. But yeah, I, I mean, I didn't think it was too hard quarantining. Uh, ran out of food like a weekend and was living off of, like peanut butter, but. Did you, so you didn't like call in a resupply or anything like that? You just, no, how well, did you do groceries? I mean, I say ran out of food, but I ran out of like good food and I was eating like cereal and peanut butter sandwiches, which is fine for me. It's quick. Yeah. I mean, it, so, and this is an open offer to anybody. Um, like I'd be happy to drop off groceries for people. I might, you know, I'm not going to go buy you like $300 worth of groceries, <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. If, I don't know what the law school does. I don't know if they help out with that at all, but if somebody, you know, I, I feel like we have a tight enough group in the, in our class, even though we don't socialize that much, I would say we have a tight enough group that like, if you did reach out and be like, Hey, can somebody pick up groceries and drop them off at my door? I think people would, Somebody be willing to do it. Yeah, and I will say for law school, I think, in my opinion, like the most important time to, you know, socialize and meet people is right at the very beginning. Because, I mean, a lot of people that, you know, I'm better friends with now is the people that I met when school first started. So I think, um, I know I could have been more careful. Obviously, I did get COVID, but I don't regret any of the decisions I made because I feel like ultimately it was best for me. Uh, to some extent, I, I think we're all kind of rolling the dice just by yeah. going to school, by anytime you go out, there is like a non-zero chance you're going to pick it up. So I don't think there should be any, like, sh I don't know if anybody does shame people who get it, but there shouldn't be any. One, one any of the issues with that. is I think a lot of our infectious disease protocols, um, especially when it came to test results, were... Uh, kind of develop i might be wrong but i get the impression they were developed during the aids epidemic mm. which you know that disease you know publicly reporting a positive test for that disease carries a bit more of a, a risk for the persons involved um when covid first started one of the things i think my recollection's a bit fuzzy that slowed testing as there were a lot of privacy concerns over positive tests. And I think you still see that to a certain extent, despite the fact that the disease itself doesn't really carry that much of a stigma. I mean, 
if you're if you're gonna shame people, it's because you you took a picture of them in a very very uh, irresponsible position. Um, not necessarily mm. because they tested positive. Yeah, well, I mean, there's definitely like a social social stigma for COVID. Um, I mean, I just wanted, I actually did debate whether or not I wanted to come on here because I didn't know if I got COVID, people were going to be like wanting to all of a sudden avoid me, even though I had it like a month ago. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever thought about, you know, that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, so I definitely don't think like that. And I, I, I don't, I don't know to what extent there's a stigma. I think it depends on one's views about the virus the more scared one is of the virus and the more restrictions one is in favor of, the more stigma that comes along with it. Because well, the stigma... I'd, cha- I'd challenge okay. that. I'm curious to hear your thoughts. You probably have a better explanation than I do. Go ahead. I, I, I'd challenge that simply because the you know the CDC, no relevant health authorities are saying someone's contagious after, uh, after they've recovered, shown no symptoms for a certain period of time. No one's saying... If you had the disease in July, you should probably avoid people. Uh, that isn't that isn't something that I'm hearing from any relevant authority. Well, I think it's more like someone who gets COVID. You start looking at them and like, okay, what were you doing to get COVID? Are you being really irresponsible? Do I need to avoid you because you're you're a risk? There's definitely, I think there's definitely a correlation between what people uh, yeah. what people do and their chance of getting it, but it's not. <laughs> That's not enough to say that you can infer from someone getting the disease that they were irresponsible or the other way around. Uh, someone not getting the disease, you also can't infer that they were being mm-hmm. responsible. I mean, I don't want people to assume just because I had COVID that every weekend I'm just out, just, you know, completely breaking all of the COVID guidelines. I could see some people having some sort of stigma like that. Even if, even if it's not like a explicit stigma, but I don't think that's reasonable. I I don't, the reality is that this is a pandemic and people are going to get COVID. Yeah. So like there definitely shouldn't be a stigma associated with getting it because it's not anybody's fault. Like it's not, nobody wanted to get it. Um, And by showing up to school, you know, everybody accepted there's, you know, there's, there's a non-zero chance you're going to get COVID. You're at a public, you're at a 37,000 student public university at school, unless you stay home all the time and do zoom, which is fine. Which some people do. We, mm-hmm. we have some classmates who only do I zoom for, them. I can do it for whatever their reasons are, whether they have health issues or, you know, what, whatever they, for whatever reason they do that, unless you do that, you're, you're rolling the dice literally every time you go to school, even if you wear a mask, even if you social distance, there's still, there's still a chance you're going to get it. So even if, even if you are doing all the right things, like, like Caleb said, simply getting it doesn't, you can't really infer anything from that. Um, yeah. And also I feel like enough people have gotten it in the school to where we can kind of understand that it's not necessarily your fault if you get it. I mean, I know people who've gotten it, who have been following all the rules and yet they just maybe got unlucky one day and came into contact with someone. Yeah. I think the number, I, I don't want to, I haven't really looked at the numbers <laughs> hardcore lately, but I think it's around 10% of the student population has had it at this point. Is that for the law school or for UGA in general? UGA. And that's, con- that's okay. just confirmed cases. So 
I, I'm not sure what the estimates are as far as like the infection rate, the estimated infection rate would be, but the confirmed mm-hmm. case, I believe the last time I looked, which was, I think last week, I think it was somewhere around 3000, a little mm-hmm. north of 3000 3, confirmed cases, which is about 10% of the student population. UGA has surprised, but when we first showed up to school, did you have like a, did you have a date when you expected us to be all online? Because I know that we made Yeah, we made I know bets. everyone was making jokes like, oh, three weeks in, they're going to make us go online and so they can keep the housing deposits or whatever. But they I haven't did hear done that. that. I like, did hear that thrown out quite a bit. And everyone who's been roasting UGA online for saying that they're going to do that, I'm kind of laughing at you now because here we are going strong seven weeks in. I am proud of UGA <laughs> for not giving in to the pressure because it would have been really easy for them to say, okay, you know, let's do it, and then, you know, Labor Day, if we get a case or something, let's just go online, and then everybody's stuck, but they haven't. They stuck with their guns. All right, we're going to reopen. This is what we're going to do. We have a choice to take in it or not partake in it, and I I appreciate it, just not giving in to the pressure of, you know, every time something happens, you've got to shut everything down, just being reasonable about it. So where do you think that point is that they do need to shut down? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it... Oh, um... I'd probably tie it to hospitalizations and not cases. Okay. I mean, if you have people, a bunch of people dying in the street because they can't get a hospital bed, that might be something. But I don't think we're there, and I don't think we're pretty close to I think to maybe you should probably shoot to uh, shut down before that happens. Before yeah. you have people dying I mean, in the street. That's, 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 that's a good point. That's a good point. This is why I'm not a public health official, okay? I'm not a public health When you can reasonably predict that there's a serious risk to your hospitals. And I'm not sure. I don't know what the data is with respect to hospitalizations. There is there is a question also of what does, what does the non-student uh, community um, think? I think one of the things probably for, for students, you're going to have a much lower... Um, like hospitalization rate, I would, I would guess, uh, compared to the general population, because you're talking about the majority of the, of the people here are going to be between like 18 and say 24 or so. Not many of them are going to go to the hospital if they get COVID. That's a, so another thing compared that I, to say the, the general population. That's another thing I do want to highlight, cause I know I've been the voice of, you know, we need to open up and you know, the world's not ending on, you know, this very hour, but I don't want that to be taken out of context as in, um, you know, everybody should go do everything, anything they want. I'm no doctor, but, you know, I think if you're older or if you're at risk or something, you definitely need to take it more seriously and distance more. Like, or if you're, or if you're around, or if you're around, or if you're in contact you, with them, you have to, you have to gauge the amount of risk you're willing to take based on who you're exposing. Um, mm. Yeah. To these things that's just that's the reality of it like, do you have an opinion on if or when they well, should shut down because well, i i would tend to agree with caleb that it should be very closely tied to hospitals because that's really the most relevant metric i don't know what your thoughts are so you also have to keep in mind that once you get to that point where everyone has covid and then you close the school you're basically sending out a bunch of covid patients across the country so and that might not be a good idea either I, 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 when I, when I said that I didn't involve, I actually, I think that was a very bad public policy decision people made early on. The first thing, when it was an Italian plague, they, all of the American students who were studying abroad were sent home, which was, which was a brilliant Mm -hmm. move because 
they've they've now um <laughs> that was a vector for infection and then they sent people home from campuses which is another vector for infection and you're also you're getting that everywhere to everywhere network um which is another another vector for yeah. infection um that's pretty reasonable point sending people home probably doesn't yeah i mean you send them back to their you know their families they might have parents with you know pre-existing conditions um and there's a lot of people i know who maybe don't visit their family as much so or actually i think it's safer for me to be here than it is you know at home yeah that's one thing though i hadn't seen my grandparents in person in a good while oh yeah just because i'm like i they're older if they get it, they're probably dead. I've probably been around people that had it. I just, I want to be around them, but I can't. Yeah. So that's why I'm always like, I'm reluctant to ever minimize the virus at all because I don't want to, I don't want someone to think that, you know, I'm just completely selfish. And I understand that there's people who it is a very real risk for getting it and danger when they do. Yeah. And I, I know this is like repeating, you know, beating a dead horse a little bit, but there is the reality of like, we, to an extent, we do have to continue living and yeah. like continue, you know, keep this whole experiment going as far as like <laughs> our economy and things like that. You, we can't just not do anything. Um, so I do think like you're saying, it's important for people to the best they can, gauge like what risk level they're at and what risk level they're ex or what risk level the people around them are at um so like one of my friends here and I, I won't say their name for their privacy but one of my friends here for some time had her 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 mom staying with her and her mom is in her 60s and 60 is getting up there towards the higher risk so that person you know took pretty strict measures to stay much less exposed to potential COVID sources. Um, and then once that person's mom was no longer here, they kind of went back about their normal routine, which would include all the law school distancing and masks, um, things of that nature. But there is, there is, there is a reality of like, we are still humans. We, especially with no definite end in sight, I don't think most people can really uh, stay sane if they just, yeah, I think that's been the away. hardest part for me is like, when do I get to, you know, go, when do I get to be like I was and go back to the way things were? So it's hard to like concentrate on like making sure you're always doing exactly the right thing when you don't have like a gauge of when, when it's going to be over. That was, it was something I've become increasingly aware of because the time horizon for what, what we were looking at has shifted. Um, in part, I think that's because a lot of the variables so when you looked at what happened in china um of course they you know wuhan was under a very strict lockdown to the point that i don't think anyone anywhere else had that level of you don't leave your apartment if you want food call the police and they will deliver it to you kind of lockdown um but it's like uh, really aggressive <laughs> Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but what that meant is that they were able to, I, and I don't know the state of how normal places like China and South Korea are, but I think a lot of my assumption was, well, you know, at some point 
this will get under control and then normal will be back somewhere around july or something and that was kind of where <laughs> where my head was initially i think i think most people were kind of thinking the same thing okay. they definitely weren't thinking like a year you i was thinking really a year to two it. years but then i thought we were, oh, all you were. Okay. yeah that's that's why i was despaired initially i <laughs> went home from work early and i was like okay i'm not going to leave my family property for about six months and i'm going to just hope that two percent of the population doesn't die and probably defer and then once i figure out that wasn't happening i then readjusted but for a while i was I'm a chicken little person. The sky kind of falls for me all the time. So, you know, this was a, just another incident of sky falling, except this time it actually fell for a little bit. Yeah. But I do think, like, part of the... Part of what's going... Because I'm thinking about it in terms of, well, when actually is the, is the back-to-normal moment? Um, and I think a lot of people, myself included, still have this sort of unconscious assumption that at some point this is just going to go away. And I'm not white seeing what's gonna do that yeah and do you ever think about what it's gonna be like when it does go back to normal it's like are we just gonna remain like mostly antisocial, or are we just gonna instantly switch back to the way we were before this all went down i think this has done probably some pretty deep psychological trauma to a lot of people um and i i think that a lot of people will take a while to, I, I don't know when uh, when we're going to like, you know, blow the horn and say this is over or if that will ever be a thing. Um, or maybe we just come to accept this as another version of like, just like a worse version of the flu. I, I don't know what the end game looks like. I, I really don't. Um, I'm, I don't have a good answer for that. But uh, whenever that does happen at some point, we, you know, can kind of go back to normal things. I think a lot of people will take a long time to get back to where they can just act normal and like interact yeah. with people normally. I think it'll be, it'll be different for different people, but um, I, I don't think, I don't think I'll have a lot of problems going back to normal, but I do know a lot of people who I, who I think definitely will for sure. I remember the first time I went to uh, church after everything shut down and I went for a week or two, and then I was like, these people aren't social distancing enough, and they're all older, so I didn't go anymore. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, they're focusing on us because they see us as the reason that that's happening. Like, they see college students as the reason old people are getting sick. And, I mean, that's arguably true. From from a framing issue, like, it is a pretty easy... Um, I think there's there's a segment of the population that doesn't like college students having mm -hmm. parties, even without a plague. Um, and when you can contrast these people having fun that I disprove of anyway, and this suffering somewhere else that they're of course completely ignoring, that's a powerful image. Um, and I think that naturally, that naturally makes a lot of people angry. Yeah, I, I think it's, so I, I will take a stand on this. I think it's moralistic grandstanding, to be honest with you. I think that people want to feel like they're the good guys and somebody's the bad guys. And when you take an issue like COVID and you make it political and then you, you, you paint certain people as the reason grandma's dying, I, I don't buy it. Um, in fact, I, I'm not so sure that young people getting it is a bad thing per se, if, as long as they're not going home to grandma. 
Um, in 2020, it's easy enough to self-quarantine that I think that uh, vulnerable people can quarantine themselves and never see another human if they don't want to. And to the extent that college kids are putting vulnerable people in danger, I think for the most part, it's because those vulnerable people are choosing to put themselves in those situations, which I, if that's what they want to do, I am not here to tell my grandmother or your grandmother or anybody else's grandmother whether or not she should go to church. I may have an opinion on it, but it's not my role uh, to tell my 91-year-old grandmother what she should yeah. do. My, my only issue with, with that stance is while most of the time or a lot of the time it is true that you know older people are putting themselves at risk, I think there's some times where that's not the case. Like you see you know, an old woman at the grocery store or she's uh, you know, working the cash register at work. And it's hard to say that that's their bad choices, putting themselves in risk. Ooh, dog sneezing. Sorry. <laughs> um, I also don't disagree with you. So I'm, I, I was arguing one side of it. There are other things to be considered. I, I, I get it. You know, some people aren't in a position where they can, you brought up like the cash cashier at the grocery store or something like that. I, it's, it's unfortunate. I, I, I don't know what the solution is. Cause to be honest with you, like if you're a cashier at the grocery store, you're going to be exposed to COVID whether college kids are out partying or not. Yeah. You're coming into contact with so many people. I don't see how you're not now. Of course, well, the we're contacts going to... of a pretty limited nature. This is just complicated. Um, and messy as a whole. That's sure. Whole but it's still like, you're still talking to there's a very high chance. I'm not saying you're going to necessarily get COVID, but you're going to be exposed to it, whether whether college kids are out at parties or not. Well, and I, I think this is this is where changes. the this is probably where the argument for much more restrictive policy comes from, which is that the ambient spread rate in the community as a whole there are certain there are certain sort of unfixable vectors. Um, with the exception of China, there aren't countries that close grocery stores. Um, even Italy, during the worst wave, kept their grocery stores open. Now, they strictly yeah. limited what people could do. And the French, I think, did something similar. They basically you know, gave people a radius that they mm -hmm. couldn't leave. The United States never had any movement restrictions. We are also much more skeptical of that kind of exercise of power, I think, than a lot of countries. We have a very that different, is, we have very different we have cultural a very norms. different tradition. I mean, part of the reason why we never thought about interstate travel restrictions, they'd be very effective, but they'd also be very unconstitutional. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people would deliberately break them just to show that they can do it, and I don't blame them. If, they that, that's how america goes and it's, it's america um but we've very much become uh the butt of a lot of jokes from our covid response yeah i do think it's true i mean i think if we did everything right then we wouldn't be having this issue right now but it's it's hard to say you know is it worth it you know i think the one in terms of policy responses the one thing that i'm i'm willing to wear on my chest is what would have been very would be the most effective thing the most the best way to mitigate this trade-off is lots of testing mm. um quite simply if you have more testing you can do more stuff while also containing risk 
the problem is how adequate is our testing and um i know south carolina has had some issues with and there was some committee meetings and they have reports and stuff about how um i don't have the exact numbers on me but basically our testing infrastructure is not as good not just in numbers but in terms of accuracy the, so forget south carolina let's talk about uga so yeah, uga, sorry. <laughs> UGA is actually i think offers like tons of testing i don't know like they like they have a uh site set up at legion field where you can go get tested but isn't um, like i mean haven't they've had trouble with lines and like it not being adequate or am i making that regardless of what's a sufficient level of testing uh, my my contention is that for any level of testing any improvement in the level of testing will result in people being able to do more stuff without increasing the risk people are exposed to. Yeah, I think like cheap, easy, inaccurate tests would actually be better. Yes. Widespread, like, you know, cheap, easy, inaccurate. You, Even you know, if there's a wide false negative. Fast. Like a, a McTest, yeah. a, a, you know, a test you can McTest, take every yeah. time you go to McDonald's. That'd be useful. And then it just, just gets you a response. Like a this is one of those things, though, where I'm seconds. talking about something that is so far outside my field of expertise. I. I very may well be like advocating for something that's just not possible. Yeah, I, don't know, I, like I might the be Elizabeth a, Holmes syndrome. Here. I might be sitting on the record um, saying things that are completely outlandish. But yeah, I, I just I don't know if this is possible, but that would be very useful. But but I will. Um, I I think my general I I've heard from enough people about how important testing is that my general more testing is always better. Uh, yeah. is something I'll stand by, but any of the specifics, like how cool it would be to get tested at McDonald's, I'll, uh, I'll add an asterisk. I actually have no idea what I'm talking about. So yeah. you think it should be mandatory then? Instead of maybe more testing, make it mandatory? Um, I actually don't know the relevant... Um, you do get questions about civil liberties, etc. Mandatory testing... If an institution has the testing capacity to test everyone who enters yeah. it, they can do that and that'll make the institution a lot safer because if you're, you know, if you're in a higher risk group and an institution can say, hey, we provide mandatory testing. So once you're in our store, restaurant, whatever, everyone who's here has been tested, that's going to make people more willing to engage in that activity. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the problem with the spread of COVID is coming from not necessarily people who have, like, active symptoms. It's the people who, you know, the, they have the week before they develop symptoms where they're just going around normal. They're going to school. They're going to, you know, they're going to the grocery store. Maybe they're going out with their friends. And that's where it's spreading, I think. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder how much is actually spread at school. I don't know what the undergrad school looks like, but I know at the law school, I I would be surprised if much COVID is spread at the law school. Um, are you are you disagreeing or agreeing, Caleb? That that was an agreement. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know if you were saying yes, it is. The combination of yeah. masks, spacing. Yeah. Insofar as people sort of talk and congregate, they're usually doing it for short periods of time. Outside, even. There, there's a lot of like, you know, congregating outside, but... I, I would be surprised if there was a big study and they found that the law school was a big like source of COVID. I just, I don't think that's the case. I don't think, I think it's very safe. I think the law school itself is very safe. The problem comes, you know, when you walk out of the law school and you go downtown for lunch, maybe then it's not so safe. Yeah. 
overall, I've been fairly, I've been, I think I've been about as happy as I can be with the, with UGA and UGA laws, like approach to COVID. I think they've been smart about it. They, I think in my opinion, it was like a very bold strategy that actually took hard leadership decisions. Um, I've seen a lot of people criticize like, oh, there's a lack of leadership here. I totally disagree with that because in my opinion, um, the mark of leadership is like making a decision that's hard Yeah. <laughs> and an easy way out would have been, and I'm not, nece- I'm not necessarily criticizing people who did this, but an easier decision would have been to move everything online immediately and not even attempt to do the in-person thing. I think it took some guts and leadership and a lot of work. And I, I really respect the fact that they put in a ton of work this summer to design a whole schedule and all, all these different mitigation things to try to prevent the spread of COVID in the law school. And I, I have to say like, I've been pretty happy with it. Do you feel the same way? Do you, you know, what, what's kind of your overall sense of it holistically? Yeah. So I agree. I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, the law school has been very conscious of like how we feel or like, you know, they want us to, they want us to think we're getting a good experience. They want us to make friends. They don't, I don't think they want for us to miss out on any of the essential law school experiences. And I think it's pretty obvious that by going online, you do lose a lot. So I think you know, a lot of people will rip on UGA saying it's like money reasons that they want to stay open. But I think, I think they want to stay open because they cared about us. I think universities everywhere have basically been forced to choose between several bad options. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not sure what the undergraduate response is. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I were an undergraduate administrator tasked with coming up with the university's response i would resign and just (laughs) run away and go somewhere else and never hear the word university ever again because it's hard it's hard i'd give up very quickly um, there aren't good options i'm not of the opinion that there are good options and no matter what you do somebody is going to get mad at you and protest you and say you're a weak leader and get fired so you just got to do something and I'm not saying this just because I go here, even if I didn't go here. I've got a very good impression of UGA leadership so far, and UGA law leadership in particular, because, you know, they've, I think they've struck a good balance. Well, it's basically what Ligon said, couldn't send any better. Yeah, I tend to agree with that. You got anything else, Gavin? Um, no. No? Oh, I I had one other thing. So another thing the law school has done that I thought was kind of cool is that they have like tried, and I'm not a big fan of like the whole teleso. What is it? What'd you call it? Telesocialization. Telesocial. Yeah. Telesocializing. Yeah. I don't really like that, but they've tried, they've got a bunch of different programs. Like you can go on like a walk with the Dean, which I I have not done, but I know that some people have. It was actually a lot of fun. Oh, you did? It was in person and it was great and, yeah, they'll like I go on a walk it. outside. They they do like different, you know, they're they're trying, and I I can tell they're they're really trying, uh, which I appreciate and I think is is a good move. Um, do you play Do you play any intramurals? Um, or did did you play intramurals in undergrad? Is that a thing? Well, here? in undergrad, I my first two years I was running cross country at Valdosta State. 
Oh, really? So I was, I mean, I did the athletics thing. Uh, I did do club track one year at UGA. It's pretty fun. Uh, I mean, I've always, I've always met most of my friends through um, sports. What do you think? Um, what do you think of the chances we have intramurals this year? Have you thought about that at all? Or do no, you plan? No, I honestly do you plan to play <laughs> extracurriculars. Um, I, I haven't thought about anything outside of just like school. outside of expectancy damages. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> you have anything else, Caleb? Uh, no, I think I'm, I'm good. William. All right, cool. See you.